back, and it was a very hard season for me personally as a pastor, but I think a lot of that tension in hindsight was uh, we had grown past our competencies as leaders. I think that would be a fair way to say it. And so uh, as we started taking those steps forward, there was, there was tension, no doubt. And, and, it's, and then the irony of that is some of the best things that ever happened at New Life publicly came right out of that season. It was out of that season, we'd already been doing stuff in Peru, but God put on our heart not just to do stuff in Peru, but be a presence in Peru to the point of having new lives. And so now we say things like, you know, we're one church in multiple locations. And what that means, practically speaking, is there are literally three new lives in Peru and we travel there all the time, uh, except for this thing called COVID, which has stopped us, but we'll be back for sure. And we have a leadership team there and we have staff there. Uh, some other things that flowed from that season of ministry is we knew that we wanted to do more with addiction and, and Celebrate Recovery started and we saw all this fruit from that. And then we decided one of our uh, leadership ideas and it was a consulting process was, well, why not try to branch out into the community and regain that idea of being uh, just breaking things into smaller community. And in uh, 2019, this was something that was on our heart for a while. We started a downtown campus and they're listening via live stream at the next service to this message. And, and although not everyone quite understood that, now today I can say with certainty God was behind that. And, and even that couple that you saw at the beginning of service, um, they, they go downtown, right? And so it, it really worked. We have our, our Celebrate Recovery groups downtown. And, and there's just kind of this whole another culture to new life. It's an extension of new life where they're hearing the same messages. And sometimes Micah preaches. And a lot of times it's me preaching like I'm doing to them right now, uh, but God really moving, people getting saved, people getting baptized, because we just felt like it is time to unleash this vision of multiplying. Uh, even in that season, and in, in, in the later part of that season, God put on our heart just an opportunity that we couldn't pass up, and they're going to be here next service, uh, from people from Rock Creek that wanted to start a simulcast church in Rock Creek. And so now for the last period of time, we've been able to do that, even though COVID has disrupted that process. And so they come to us and they listen online. And it was one of the most fruitful times in all of the ministry. In fact, if you were to look at it on paper, I can promise you, if you just watch this through a paper trail, you would say, well, what's the most successful time in New Life's history to date? It would be right in that window, right in that window. Went from one church to six places. And we started recovery groups and Stuff was happening downtown and we acquired a building. And then you guys have been, a lot of you have been through that process with us. But here's where I want to be very vulnerable with you. It was in that same season that behind the scenes, I was getting really frustrated. Really frustrated. And, and this isn't something I put on the church like the church was struggling with. This is me. And my frustration was the pictures that I just showed you. My frustration at some leadership meetings and this is how I explained it. Even though all of these things were happening, my frustration was I felt like we were spinning our wheels uh, in what I would define as a ministry cycle that needed to reset. And at that point in the ministry, I was reading a lot of books on things like that and kind of nerding out on those topics. And I thought, well, it just must be a ministry cycle issue because after every seven years, you need to reinvent things or things become stale, things become stagnant. But I started to feel that way behind the scenes that although, you know, the budget was as big as it's ever been and there were more churches for new life than there ever been, in my own heart, I'm going, I miss this season right here and it doesn't feel the same to me. That was my heart. Did I tell it to you? 
No way, because that'd be a, that would be bad, right? I didn't want to, you know, put that on you as if that's your, heart, if that's your problem. But I, I was thinking, I remember a season where relationships were so at the front and center of the conversation. And now it, it feels like we're doing all of these things, but people are more disconnected than ever. And so what I started doing is I started writing a bunch of things to myself as to what I saw problems were and what I thought solutions would be. And in the midst of that, all of that, we kept going and things were going really, really well at New Life. But there was this one idea that I couldn't shake. Uh, and it's something that's so central to, to a topic that we talk about through the years at New Life. And what started to really shake me to the core is this question, are we becoming lukewarm? That was my question. And the reason I know that's my question is because I write everything on my phone. I have notes and notes and notes and notes and notes. And that became a very common theme. I was asking that question. In fact, I, I, several times we've talked about the lukewarm church. And, and so it was this church, and the reason Jesus talks about it is this church in Laodicea. And you find this church in, in Revelation chapter 3, as John is sitting on an island, and he's, you know, from the mouth of Jesus, Jesus is speaking to him and he's rebuking to this, this church. And in my notes from specifically 2018, when everything was looking good, I was writing my notes to myself about this church in Laodicea. This church was on a high elevated plane. It was known for trade and converse. It had a main street with shops and merchants and homes that would have been very massive. In fact, uh, what most people lived in outside of towns like this would have been very small homes, but they had homes that weren't just a few hundred square feet. They were a few thousand square feet. And Jesus is gonna call them lukewarm. I wanna just focus on this for a second and then move on. But basically what would happen is they actually had more technology than many of us are aware of. They had a centralized water system with ancient pipes that would allow for water in the home. And because it was coming from a different area, they had the capacity, even in that time period, for hot water and cold water because of springs that existed. But when the water would travel to Laodicea, Jesus was speaking as a missionary into their culture, because it would go through, even if it was hot, it would go through these pipes and this ancient type of sewer system. By the time it got to the people in Laodicea, the water was lukewarm and everyone hates Lukewarm water, right? You like hot coffee, amen? You like cold coffee from McDonald's, one of, one of the best coffee makers of all time? My wife gets that coffee. I don't drink any coffee. I just drink nutritious energy drinks. But uh, you, there's hot coffee, there's, there's, there's cold coffee, and then there's lukewarm coffee, which is absolutely the best, amen? I mean, who doesn't like lukewarm coffee? coffee or lukewarm water. Uh, but these people knew what that meant. And these people were wealthy. These people were sophisticated. They weren't Walmart people. They were Target people. Right? They didn't eat expensive. They didn't eat uh, food like Cocoa Puffs. They would get all the organic, you know, groceries for their kids that were privileged. And they would literally, not just, just physically, they would metaphorically, they would look down on the people around them. And then God allows a church to be planted in that culture, a culture that worshiped multiple gods and their main God was Zeus and they believed in gods of healing and wine and uh, they worshiped in all these temples and, and it was polytheistic and then God plants this church in an urban area and, and I'll kind of compare it to Aberdeen in a very small sense where 
Uh, we're a hub city. And so it, it, Laodicea was like a hub where then the gospel could go out to these other areas. And then on a very small scale, that's kind of how Aberdeen, isn't it? Uh, is it? It's, it's like we have this place called the hub city and then we can go into these smaller areas and have an influence even to maybe potentially like a Falkton or something like that. And they had all of that going on. And then John is exiled on this island late, late into the ministry life cycle for John. And then Jesus speaks to him. And then this is what Jesus says. And I want to bring this back. This is kind of where I was at in 2018, even though things looked great. I was focused on this text. Verse 14. And to the angel of the Lord in Laodicea, write this, the words of the amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of God's creation. He says, I know your works, you're neither cold nor hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say I am rich and I have prospered and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Jesus says through John, he says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich in white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and solve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. He says, those whom I love, I reprove and I discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, this is a famous scripture. You guys have heard this part. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and I will eat with him and he with me. And the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me at my throne. I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. Jesus takes this very wealthy community and this church that seemingly by everyone else's eye from a distance looks very healthy God speaks to their comfort, God speaks to their satisfaction, and he uses his son Jesus to speak through John to the church, and it's the one church out of the seven churches in Revelation that Jesus has nothing nice to say about. He absolutely rips this seemingly great, maybe from the outside looking in, church of Laodicea. And so for me in that time period, I'm not saying that that was us. I don't, I don't think we've ever been lukewarm to my knowledge. But for me, I'm going, something is missing. And it wasn't the idea that that's where we were. It was the idea that was keeping me up of that's where we could be if something doesn't change. And so now fast forward to like 2020, the easiest year of ministry of all time. Because I was asking the Lord, God makes it up. Maybe it's a ministry cycle. Maybe we're just becoming complacent. But there's a season of ministry that feels like new life and it feels like it's slipping away from us and, and we're doing so many things, but there's just so many people that are disconnected. And then 2020 hits, the easiest year of ministry of all time. And what I found about COVID, have you guys heard of COVID? What I found out about COVID is it didn't just do something that was really damaging. Hear me say this. It exposed something that already existed. COVID didn't just do something that was really damaging, it exposed something that already existed. And what it exposed was that when a church is not connected as the body of Christ, now I'm not talking about people that are, you know, have health concerns and need to stay away for a period of time. I'm not talking about that at all. I'm talking about the fact that there are a lot of people 
that we just don't track around here that would call New Life their home. They're in a database of about 2,250 people the last time we checked. And we don't know where a lot of people are at, not just physically, but spiritually. And they're not connect connected on any real level. COVID didn't just do something, it exposed something. And what it exposed is when people aren't connected, they have a real proclivity to scatter. And that's not a new life issue. That's just a church issue. You want to see pastors lick their wounds? Look at me. Just start talking about COVID. And in the midst of that, here's the irony. I think if the community would look at us, they would say, man, uh, new life killed it with COVID stuff. New life was all over it. Like here's some of the things that we did during COVID. There were thousands of or cups of coffee that were giving away, 6,400 cups of coffee to people in the community that were dealing with stuff. We had these church on the roof services. Do you remember that time like where you could bring your dog to church? This was last year. I mean, the, things were happening. We were buying tons of grocery cards for people that were uh, in that season of COVID really needing some stuff done in their lives. We paid electrical bills. We paid heating bills. We made auto repairs. We were buying over-the-counter medications for people that were struggling. Uh, even when we were going to Rock Creek, I think we provided like 300 meals for the church and the community there. There was a strong season where we were partnering with some key other churches that really had a heart for doing something in the midst of COVID. And, and, and as we were doing that, um, th things were just happening. And I think I said a few weeks ago, because I'm a promoter by nature, that uh, in, in, in Peru, we gave out 50,000 meals. You guys remember me saying that? Like 50,000, that seems like a lot. So I stand corrected. I fact-checked it. It's like 32,000 meals. And so uh, I don't know who stole the other 18 because there's no way that I would get that stat wrong. But uh, the, the bottom line was it's just like a lot, a lot, a lot of things happening. In fact, you guys tied last year in the midst of the crisis about $1.5 million. That's what you did. Now, that's not all general budget, but half a million of that comes through kingdom builders and COVID stuff and, 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 and general tithe and downtown, right? So there's all of this, these things happening, most generous year that we've ever had. And then the entire time, here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking as a pastor, I don't really want some of this stuff in COVID to end because I feel so comfortable in this moment with you. In fact, I told some of our younger pastors, in some ways, I would like to preach on the roof for the next five years. Because on the roof, everyone's engaged, everyone's looking to the church, and I just knew that there's this reality that we're gonna do all these things in the midst of COVID, and we end up having a, you know, an outdoor harvest fest that we'd never done before, and we, uh, we're connecting people in all sorts of unique ways. But I was thinking in that season, man, I don't really know if I want this to end because I feel so comfortable in this moment and everyone's so connected and everyone's on a common mission and it feels like it did in the old days. It doesn't feel lukewarm. It doesn't feel program driven. It just feels like we need to meet some needs in the community and, and we're gonna do just that and things were going amazingly in that season. But then we also knew there's a time where we needed to come back. And in that time that we needed to come back, this is what everyone was finding, that although people were excited to help during COVID, they were losing that sense of connection within the body of Christ, and we couldn't track people as hard as we were trying. And so we really doubled down in this season, and this is what I want to celebrate as we close this thing out. What we decided as a leadership team was very clear. 
we are going to double down on what got us to where we were at and the vision that God put on this heart from the very beginning before I was ever the lead. And we are absolutely gonna double down on building relationships for God's glory. And on top of that, how many of you guys, here's the other piece of it. What we decided really last summer as we got back into this space and these spaces, knowing that a lot of our crowd is still gonna be online, is that we're not gonna just talk about God's word, although today is kind of an off day. We are gonna dissect it. We are gonna love it. We are going to build a foundation on it because what I've seen this last year, can you relate to this? Stay with me. I'm gonna close, I promise. I know I'm talking really fast and I'm getting really excited, but just stay with me. How many of you guys have seen this? That in the midst of everything happening with COVID, there's also things happening around COVID and there's a massive, massive truth starvation in our culture. Have you noticed? Five of you have noticed? Everyone else is like, I don't know. It seems pretty good. Well, we're going to try to introduce you to Jesus after church so that you can get to know him because this is so foundational. Like what, what we found is something that already existed, but it was just being exposed in the midst of a political season and COVID is that that literally there is this massive truth deficit going on in culture and the only thing anchoring us is the local church, is the word of God, is God's people coming together and living out the gospel and it's gonna happen through two means. Here's how we're closing. This is the future. This is where we've been. This is where we were at last year. This is what God most importantly has showed us in the midst of all of the craziness called the COVID season. It did not set up the problem. It exposed the problem. Problem, that people are biblically ignorant and biblically starving and they're searching for truth in all sorts of ways that can't produce and that what the church can do in this season even more than giving things away is the church can actually be the church and double down on building relationships and building the kingdom of God. And I've been saying this since we got back into this place in the fall. And I want you to just write it down in case you've never heard it. The kingdom of God is built on relationships. The kingdom of God is built on relationships. We've been in the book of Mark strategically all fall. And one of the things that I want you to see is that Jesus is all about relationships from the start to the finish. In fact, he's all about relationships from the time of his own existence, from eternity. God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they've always been in relationships. And churches that don't understand the importance of relationships, not only in this season, but certainly in the next, will not exist after a period of time. We've been talking about that this fall. It is not something where, oh, I hope we can get this right. It's something where if we don't figure this out, every church that doesn't is gonna cease to exist. That these relationships happen organically. And we can't always expect that a perfect program or a perfect system at any given church is gonna somehow give us the passion and desire to be back how new life started. And that's one of the things I got jealous about downtown about when they started is I saw the same thing happen, that relationships happen organically where people are going, I wanna know you and you need to know me and we need to share our life together because that's how this Christian thing actually plays out. You can't just rely simply on a system and the kingdom of God fundamentally is built on relationships. I remember this, this beginning time at New Life, what we would do. It wasn't a real clear strategy. We just wanted to hang out. And so 
uh, a lot of us, every time after service, we'd go to the food court at the mall. And so um, this was, in dinosaur years, there were stores at the mall. I remember there's one guy in the worship team, even one Sunday, he played the guitar in a kilt. It was really a weird movement. His name was Joel. He works at Mavericks now, and he, I haven't seen him for a while, but uh, he, he played the guitar in a, in a kilt. I remember one day we were, we were at the, we were at the, the kid part, and uh, he said, let's have a pickle race. And so I'm like, okay, I'm a youth pastor. That sounds fun. I said, what do you mean? He says, take the pickle from your burger, chuck it on the window of the, of the mall food court, and as they slide down, the fastest slider wins. And during that time of a pickle race, my now toddler son, Joey, who's passing out bulletins, we lost them like half the way down the mall when there were actually stores at the mall. And someone brought the kid back to the food court and they said, the kid being him, they said, does anyone know whose kid this is? And I said, that, that's my wife's kid, <laughs> right? But there was this stuff that was going on in relationships for being built organically, and that's exactly what we've doubled down on in this, minute, in this season of ministry. There is so much more stuff, you guys, happening right now. If you want to know how to get involved in any of it, go, don't leave this space, right? Go outside of this sanctuary, go to Starting Point, and talk to, to everyone that's in the leadership team over there, and Pastor John will be over there and try to get you plugged in. There's all sorts of stuff downtown. You can do the same thing. There's all sorts of stuff that you can get involved in. There's, there's more men's stuff going on by far than we've ever seen before. I think there's about 100 men being discipled every week in small groups at this church just for men. There's, there's a ton of stuff going on because the kingdom of God is built on relationships. And so here's how we're actually going to close. We're going to have a couple of baptisms in a second, but I want you to see firsthand the lives that are being changed through relationships being built at New Life. Joe's about to get baptized. And I said, Joe, send me, send me a little blurb on what's going on in your life and what the church has meant to you. And he wrote this to me this week. He says, as the old saying goes, many people meet God when they hit rock bottom. He says, my story is no different. The only way to describe the last four months of my life is devastating. However, the one huge blessing that's come out of it is that I'm closer to Christ now than I've ever been. I've only endured a tiny sample of the pain that Jesus felt when he went through stuff, but it's brought me to my knees. And the things that I've been through, had they not happened, I don't know that I would have ever truly come to know Jesus as my Savior or have the understanding of the sacrifice that he made for me as that I now have. He says, for the first time in my life, I can honestly say, I get it. Have you guys had that experience? He says, for the first time in my life, I can honestly say, I get it. And for that, I'm incredibly grateful. He says, thankfully, I've not had to walk through this journey alone. The brotherhood of men here at New Life have been walking with me, and it's been incredible. I can truly say that I've been attending my old church. Had I been attending my old church and not New Life, when this crisis hit my life, I do not know where I'd be right now. The love and the care that I've received from the body of people here at New Life is something that I've never felt anywhere else. This church is special, and the people here are truly living out the mission of sharing Christ's love one broken person at a time. That's awesome, right? We are going to hone in on God's word and make it central to everything we do, and, and that's, that's been a mission from the beginning, and we're going to build relationships one relationship at a time. Eric Camel is a dear friend of mine. I've known him like 16 years. We went to school together. We worked together at New Beginnings. 
He was a lovely person, always been just someone that's been respected in the community, but I never knew where he was at with the Lord. He says this. He says, I grew up in a small town as a Catholic, and I was more concerned with my religious image than my relationship with the Lord. Anybody? All right. I was focused on personal achievement instead of achieving for God and others. I struggled with pride, ego, selfishness, and forgiveness. We came to New Life about six years ago. We felt at home at New Life immediately. He says, New Life isn't about checking boxes or religious reputation. It's about relationship with Jesus, our Savior, the gospel, the condition of our hearts, and making more disciples. He says, at first I was just showing up and not participating or giving in any way. I was only a consumer, and it wasn't until I walked through a period of time of life-altering brokenness that I came to give my life completely to the Lord. I realized I cannot fix what's broken in my life. I turned to the Lord, the gospel, and the church. I quickly realized that I had not been living as God had instructed, and the brokenness was a result of that reality. I was a prisoner to materialism, pursuing false idols, not putting God first, not putting my wife second, and not putting my family third. In fact, my family always got the leftovers. He says, I don't wish the brokenness that I went through in these past couple of years on anybody, but I am glad for what God used in it. He's brought me for where I am today in a relationship with my Lord and a relationship with my wife. Many of the biggest growths in my faith walk have come through involvement and experiencing life groups. I feel like the name life group doesn't do it justice. It should just be called life family or life team. Anyway, I quickly realized my lack of godly relationships in my life and my desperate need for them. I was experienced rich. I love how some of these testimonies like have quotes from sermons in them. He says, I was experienced rich, but I was relationally poor. It's such a life-changing blessing having brothers in Christ to walk alongside, share weaknesses and vulnerability, share successes and growth, and hold each other accountable to God's standard, not culture's standards. On the outside, it looked like I had it all together, but that was a mask. I was empty. I was missing real authentic connection, leadership, and accountability. He says, every Titus needs a Paul. Serving others, and serving, uh, serving others and serving with others is so rewarding and fulfilling. I encourage all of you to get connected to a group. God calls us into relationship with one another and with him, and doing so in my life has changed absolutely everything. It is so rewarding to see how my choice to serve God has blossomed into so much collateral blessings for others. God is calling you. Eric's becoming a little preacher here, so I'm going to close for the fifth time. Now dive into his word. Seek accountability and growth with others. You will not regret your decision. You will not regret your decision. Here's where we're going. Here's where we're going. 2021, we've already been going here, and anyone on the leadership team knows that this has been central to what we've been talking about. We are going to stand behind God's worth because it is truth and it doesn't waver, and we are going to do a better job every single day at building relationships for the glory of God because the kingdom of God is built on relationships. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the hope that we have in you. We thank you for what you've done all of these years. You've been so faithful to the church. Now, 16 years into ministry, we've seen things that we never thought we'd see, and we want to just take a moment and celebrate that. But Jesus, we ask that you would keep us in a position where we're hungry for the gospel and we're hungry to reach people because we know that you are all about building these relationships. We pray this in your holy name, and everybody said, amen. Amen.